Well, good evening, everyone in Alberta and all points beyond. I'm Kerry Lambert, and I welcome you to an online webinar evening of Solutions for a New Alberta, brought to you by the Alberta Prosperity Project, also known as APP. We are a nonpartisan, not-for-profit educational society who are advocating, inspiring, and educating all Albertans on the merits of freedom and prosperity through independence. Of course, we couldn't do this without your help. And if this is your first time watching, welcome. And I hope you find this information engaging and wanting to find out more. And if you're a regular APP webinar viewer, thank you for your support. And we couldn't do this without you. APP is a membership driven with the goal of a million plus members to help drive the political process. And we are looking for memberships and you can go to albertaprosperityproject.com and find out more about uh, doing memberships there. Tonight's show, is uh, a little bit different for me because our guest is a bit of a, a famous or as Chris would say infamous Albertan who stood up to the Alberta government and Alberta Health Services and is still in court awaiting his remaining trial which I'm not sure Chris will talk about that tonight but uh, Mr. Christopher well, I don't usually talk about myself <laughs> Mr. Christopher Scott of the Whistlestop Cafe in Mir, Alberta decided to go to the Netherlands just before the Christmas holiday and met with various people and farmers out there and he's on the webinar tonight to talk about what is, what is going on in the Netherlands. So welcome, Chris. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you very much, Kerry. Uh, th thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> My show. <laughs> uh, yes, and if you don't know uh, about Chris and I, Chris and I actually do a show called The Chris and Kerry Show. It's at thechrisandkerryshow.com, yeah. and you can check out some of the stuff that... Uh, We've been doing there some of the antics that we've been talking about uh, politics and health and uh, just what the hell is going on. So how apropos that you are on the APP webinar to talk about what the hell is going on in the Netherlands. So tell us what is going on. First of all, let's say, why did you go to the Netherlands? That's an interesting first question. I heard the uh, fermented salted herring was great. Mm, and cheese. And they make cheese there? I think they make beer too. What? I didn't know that. You missed out. No, I. So I went because, uh, believe it or not, it was a Facebook video I saw. Okay. Of a farmer in his tractor, and there was a loader, and it they were just pushing and flipping the tractors off the road, and I thought, good grief, this is uh, getting pretty nuts over there. These guys are just trying to protest. Yeah. And it's almost as if they're taking, the Dutch government is taking. Uh, uh, points from our own Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. So it was kind of nuts. I didn't really have the money to do it, but uh, Expedia kind of made up my mind because I ended up booking a, a flight that cost $585 round trip. So I thought, well, you know, wow. for that much money, I, I've got to do this. I got to go. I got to see what's going on. And I had an idea of what was happening there. And my ideas were confirmed when i got over there and started talking to people so that's why i went so how did you like you just said you didn't have any money or anything so i mean obviously for that price why would you not go but then well you... yeah and i mean when i say i don't have any money I, like a european vacation yes you're probably looking at three or four thousand dollars for Easy. a couple of weeks right that's right and i, and I certainly didn't have that uh, but i had enough money to at least get myself there yeah. and then hope for the best and then what happened when you got there well, uh, when I got there, I arrived at Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam, or near Amsterdam, and uh, in the time it took me to travel there, I made contact with a fellow by the name of Jasper Smith, okay. and he picked me up at the airport, 
took me to his place and we hung out for a little bit and and he was kind of my uh my guide for both the sights sounds and smells of amsterdam because amsterdam has a particular smell it smells a little bit like skunks at night oh yeah but um he was my guide for that as well as the the people uh, who were protesting okay in the netherlands so it was awesome and and so basically you hung out with him and did he have connections or did people reach out to you he did yeah so jasper he has a show in the netherlands well i mean i guess it's all over the world because internet right yes. uh called common sense tv cstv right. and he's been digging into a lot of the same things as we have been here in Canada, like what you and I do on, on our show. Yeah. Um, we, we hear something's going on. We try and dig into a little bit and then we share our opinions about it. And Jasper has been doing the same thing. And the reason he started doing it. So he was a, uh, he's a chef by trade and a really good chef. I mean, he's cooked for princes and princesses and wow. all sorts of really wealthy people, you know, like where one of those restaurants where if your, your bill didn't come to a, $2,000, then you got in trouble because you didn't serve the guests a good enough meal, right? Yeah. Those kind of places. And he did that for years. And uh, he found himself in a position where he was kind of forced to ask some questions and pull his head out of the sand in order so he could survive. Mm -hmm. And he did that and realized, hey, you know, there's a lot going on here. And we really need to get this information out to people so at least they can make a decision on how they're going to go forward uh, in, in their lives. Okay. And, and, and even with that, so you hung out with him and, and so how did you, how did, I don't know if anybody's actually seen a lot of these other interviews that Chris did, but he did like what, five or six. And, and I think some we're still compiling right now, but you met with um, uh, one of the uh, one of the members of the uh, the parliament over there. You met with Vibran van Hacker. <laughs> so, how did that even come about? Well, Jasper actually was he was connected with Vibram. So, I, I explained to Jasper what the purpose of my trip was, and that I wanted to talk to as many people as I could to find out, you know, what are the farmers protesting about? Why are they protesting? Yeah. What are these policies, and what's the government's position on it? Okay. Right. So I, you know, as luck would have it, Jasper had connections with uh, Vibram, who is the it's not, it's not even a party. It's a group. It doesn't even have party status, but he is in government and his I, I'll just call it a party because it's easier is called. Um, uh, it's like for the benefit of the Netherlands, like for the for, like for the Netherlands, you know, that's kind of what it's how it translates. So uh, Jasper he has been covering a lot of the protests through the last few years in Holland uh, actually, and in Friesland. And he's met a lot of people along the way. So by connecting with Jasper, it was awesome because he was able to connect me with a lot of these other people, including uh, Ripke, who we, we interviewed as well. Uh, he's, he wrote that book about uh, uh, Friesland nature and biodiversity and that kind of thing. And uh, so for the first week and a half I was there, 90% uh, of the contacts that I talked to uh, were people that Jasper has encountered in his uh, quest for information on the, on the last few years. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, and, and you said that they were protesting. So for our viewers that may not be up to speed on what was, what's been actually going on over there, what were they protesting? Well, that's a very great question, Carrie, and I'm glad you asked me. Um, 
Yeah. So the reason the farmers are protesting in the, in the Netherlands is very similar to why we are about to start protesting in Canada, or at least we should be. So the government is putting out some policies. They have put out some policies regarding uh, it's it's environmental things. It's green agenda things, and they're and they're things that are coming from the Sustainable Development Committee and those and those kind of places. Like not necessarily the Dutch government, or or what's here is not necessarily the Canadian government. But they're, they're, they're policies that outside global organizations are telling our countries we have to do in order to meet these clim climate targets. Yes. Uh, one of them that people probably know about in Canada is they are mandating a 30% reduction in the use of synthetic nitrogen fertilizer in the Netherlands. So they're doing that. They're going to be doing that here in Canada as well. And it's, it's absolutely... It's a it's an arbitrary number that's being pushed on us by an outside organization. Like anytime you're telling farmers they should use more or less of something, that should be a regional plan because different regions require different. Like as my lawyer would say, it's very nuanced and and it's multifaceted, yeah. and you can't just say we're going to reduce by thirty percent all over the globe because that doesn't work in every area. So they're telling the the, the Dutch farmers they have to do that. In addition. They're telling dairy farmers that the floors in the barns of their dairy that they have just upgraded in the last five years, by the way, for environmental standards uh, need to be replaced. Not only do they have to uh, meet the old standard, but now they also have to have like a check valve system so the cows can release their wastes and they go down through the floor and then the floor closes up behind it. So no ammonia can get in the atmosphere because ammonia is so bad. So... 30% reduction in, 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 uh, in synthetic nitrogen fertilizer. Yeah. Changing the floors in their dairy barns. Uh, they're telling the vegetable farmers that they need to shorten their growing season by 20%. So I think it was uh, now the government is saying you can only grow food from April until October 1st. Well, in the Netherlands, they grow well into November. And the last, as even Canadian farmers would know, the last... 10% uh, of your growing season yields 25% of the fruit or the vegetable or whatever. So all across the board, they're putting policies in place with arbitrary numbers that are going to force farmers off their land. So farming isn't a very lucrative thing right now, unless you're a huge, you know, a huge farmer or a, or a big dairy farm in Canada. So the margins are, are, are slim. So if you tell the farmer that they can't fertilize their crops the way they need to, well, now their crop yield isn't as high and they're not selling as much food. Well, now a once sustainable farm is no longer sustainable, but it's okay because the Dutch government has told the farmers, if you can't survive this, don't worry. We'll buy your farm off you. Oh. And some farmers have already done this. They've sold out family farms, generational farms. And, and in Canada, we think gener generational farm like our great-great-grandparents. But in Holland, we're talking like thousand year old farms oh, sure yeah bulldozed in the name of biodiversity at the request of guess who wef yes wef. absolutely amongst <laughs> others the world economic forum is telling countries all across the world that they have to do these things in order to survive and it's not about them surviving it's about reducing human impact and returning land to nature. So 
once the government buys these farms, they're basically, um, some of them, I, I should say, not all of them, uh, they're just getting rid of everything and replanting them as if humans never existed there in the name of biodiversity. And of course, a lot of the farmers aren't okay with this because we've learned in hundreds of years of farming how to farm responsibly. And, and you know, they, the farmers there and here, we, we respect nature and we respect biodiversity. And we do it because we love working with our hands and we love working within nature on farms and, and whatnot, right? So in Holland, there's lots of farms that have already, they do some wilding projects just because they want the birds and the insects and this like that on their farm. Mm -hmm. So they, they do this stuff on their own because they love nature. And now the government's telling them, well, that's not good enough. It's not good enough. And unfortunately, I've become all too aware that it will never be good enough for these green fanatics who literally want human impact gone and they want to return things as if humans didn't exist. That's what the, the farmers are protesting about. Wow. And it's not just farmers. It's the fisheries too. The fisheries uh, on the on the North Sea in, in the Netherlands have already been subject to this. So a few years ago, they had to upgrade their engines and some stuff on their ships and containers and fishing practices to meet the green agenda, to meet the environmentalists' demands. And they did that. They spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, some of these guys. Now... Uh, it's not good enough because it's never good enough until they're gone. So what they did is they said, well, you know, you're fishing. Um, your boats are disturbing the seafloor. They're disturbing the sand on the seafloor. And that's not the way nature intended it to. So you have to stop or develop an alternate way of propelling your boats that doesn't damage nature. So a lot of these guys can't afford it because fishing, not hugely profitable, but they get by generational yeah. things. Um, the government has bought their boats. So I, I'm, this is off the top of my head, but I'm fairly certain the number of commercial fishing boats on the North Coast was 90. 74 of those boats at this moment have been bought by the government because the fishermen can no longer continue and scrapped in wow. the name of climate change. And, and you think that that is coming to Canada? Because obviously the whole... It absolutely is. It 100% is. You look at these policies, Carrie. Um, why would it be a 30% reduction in nitrogen fertilizer in both Canada and in the Netherlands? That's, yeah. And, and, and it was, you can't tell me that what they plant in, uh, say, the Toronto area, the, the uh, uh, south southern Ontario region, is different than they, are, they do in Saskatchewan. And they absolutely oh, are. Absolutely, it is. Saskatchewan oh, is, is gray dirt. Yeah. We require well, some of it is kind of gray dirt, requires a little bit more fertilizer. Yeah. Um, the areas around the Great Lakes where they grow, you know, the the uh, I call them the the cash crops like strawberries and tomatoes and those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, that dirt there is much more fertile, so they don't need nearly as much fertilizer. Yeah. But here's the thing. If it was our own governments debating these things with our scientists and saying, these are the goals we need to meet. How are we going to do them without impacting our, our lives too much? How are we going to make sure that we prosper as human beings, that we flourish as a species and maintain and meet these goals? But that's not what's happening. As a matter of fact, uh, are you familiar with a little country called Sri Lanka? Yes, as a matter of fact, I am. <laughs> so this might be our next trip, Carrie, in Sri Lanka. <laughs> The Sri yeah. Lankan government Im implemented this 30% nitrogen uh, reduction policy 
and it absolutely destroyed the agriculture uh, industry in Sri Lanka to the point where their gross domestic product dropped critically low to the point where they now had to import food. But unfortunately, they don't have money to do it because their exports of food were what was paying the bills before. And it I think destroyed they, the country. They also have tourism too, don't they? And there was something that happened in the last couple of years that probably killed the tourism industry. Yeah, isn't it funny how that works, right? Mm -hmm. So the human impact of tourism was also uh, decimated yeah. somehow. Wow. Anyway, the people in Sri Lanka, it was so bad. They protested, they rioted in the, rioted in the streets and they brought down the government. Like the government officials literally were running for their lives because they implemented these arbitrary policies on the country, hurt people, damaged them, killed people for for certain. Absolutely. And and they realized like, you know what? Your fairy tale ideologies are great, but we have to deal with this thing called reality. Reality slapped Sri Lanka in the face. It didn't work. Now they're doing it in the Netherlands and it will not work. Then it's coming to Canada farmers, and it will not work here either. Are the farmers over there standing up? Like, you know, there's, I've heard. They are, they are, but. That there's 10,000 farms and 17,000 farmers over there. And do you believe the majority, if not all, are, are upset with the government and trying to stand well, up? The numbers that I saw was that at least 3,900 generational family farms are under threat of becoming unsustainable to operate because of these new policies. 3,900 farms out of, t well, you said 10,000, that's yeah. a lot of farms, 39%. Yeah. So you can almost say that when they say they want to reduce their you know, use of fertilizer by 30%, you're going to kill about 30% of farms as well, 39%, whatever. And this probably holds true to Canada as well. And I, I would say, aside from the language, uh, the cheese and the odor or aroma in in uh, Amsterdam, the, the the Dutch folks are just like us. Yeah. Well, maybe that's because there's so many Dutch folks here. <laughs> By the way, did you know that uh, a few decades ago, the Dutch government actually paid farmers and uh, laborers 6,000 guilders each to get out and go to Canada. Get out of our country, go to Canada. There's too many people here. There was 10 million people and they said, yeah, there's too many, get out. And they paid them to leave. Did you know that? No. That's why we got so many Dutch farmers here. Anyway, it's beside the point. Well, I think um, that's great. A lot of them are just going along to get along because that's what we do as human beings, yeah. right? We wear our masks, we close our restaurants, we put up dividers, we put up hand sanitizer, we go along to get along because it hasn't affected us to the point where we have to really stand up and say something about it yet. And by the time we do, it might be too late. So a lot of farmers are going along to get along there. Maybe some are thinking, hey, this is great. We want to retire anyway. And yeah, let's return our land to biodiversity. We'll retire. Everything's all great. And that's fine. But it shouldn't, it should be a choice, right? It yeah. should be a choice. And the ones that are really standing up and speaking out are the ones, of course, that are going to be affected the worst. Um, every single farmer, whether it was a dairy farmer, uh, a shepherd, or a, a vegetable grower, every single one of them said they were in three years. And they said more than likely they wouldn't because with the new policies, um, they will be unable to farm economically and, and sustain their families. Uh, here's another thing. You might ask why I was interviewing Shepard. So the Dutch people are very interesting. Mm. 
they have this uncanny way of mastering the environment and the climate that they they live in okay so the netherlands literally means low-lying lands used to be a swamp yeah. it was it's uh, at at some points there it's uh, seven meters below sea level and they built that country using water management techni techniques from hundreds of years ago into what it is today Th uh, hundreds of thousands of acres of viable farmland cities you name it it's beautiful and of course they wanted to raise sheep for meat and they had a problem with these pesky wolves that kept on killing all the sheep and eating them so they ejected them out of holland they just pushed them out into germany here go to go to hansel and gretel's house in germany they're wolves because we don't want you eating our sheep much like we did in alberta we got rid of the rats in alberta because they were damaging crops and they were damaging our stored grains and stuff like that we can't have that because human beings want to flourish and prosper and we can't have rats in our food so we ejected rats out of alberta the dutch people ejected wolves out of holland they raise their sheep they do their thing everything's great but now the government is saying because of this uh build back better green great reset uh ridiculous what else, i don't know what else to call it they're saying well the wolves used to be here so we need to bring them back the wolves belong here we need to return the wolves to holland because as human beings we made an impact to these wolves and we need to make reparations for this and give them the land back sound familiar mm -hmm. so now there's wild wolves supposedly wild wolves making their way from germany and poland into uh into the netherlands and they're attacking sheep and in days gone by the farmers would have either a shot the wolves or b captured them and relocated them yeah they're not allowed to now because those wolves are protected and they're protected more than the animals that the, the shepherds are raising or the shepherds themselves wow if they encounter a wolf attacking their flock they're not allowed to do anything about it because that wolf has rights wow and and when they approach the government and say, hey, we're not going to be able to farm anymore because these wolves are killing our sheep. Now, keep in mind, these are people who love their animals. Uh -huh. You know, we may use them as food, but they, they take excellent care of them. They actually care about their, their animals. And these, these wolves are coming in, ripping their animals to shreds. And then the, the fellow that I was talking to was describing a scene where he had seven lambs that were shredded but still alive. And he was carrying all seven in his arms. And the guy's almost in tears talking about this. He yeah. had to carry them back to the house and wait two hours for the government agency to come and inspect them and find out what killed them. Wasn't allowed to euthanize them or anything. And these are the kind of things they're going through. But the government says, you know, don't worry. We, uh, we want to help you. We'll give you a subsidy to build a six and a half foot fence around your entire meadow. Well, what a great idea. Yeah, except for these guys' meadows are, you know, like a quarter section or so each. And this one fellow in particular, he had 35 of them. So what is it going to cost to put a wolf-proof six-and-a-half-foot fence around all of those meadows? Completely unsustainable, not going to happen, it, not in a, a million years. No. So they're making it impossible to farm. Now, this gets a little bit conspiratorial, if that's a word, in that the wolves that are attacking the sheep, they don't necessarily look like the wolves of past that were ejected from Holland. They look a little bit different. So there's a concern that maybe these wolves aren't actually the original wolves and they're a hybrid of sorts that aren't protected by anything and they shouldn't be doing all these things because of it. So the farmers have said, well, let's test and find out. We'll do DNA testing and find out. Right, Eddie. They won't let them. There's an organization called B12. 
that the farmers have to call. The government sends them out. They do the testing. They, they're the only ones that are allowed to know. They will not tell the farmers what the results of the tests are. They just tell them that it's a wolf and they need to build a fence. The farmers, some have tried to take samples on their own and bring it to universities. And the universities, under threat, a penalty of law, are not allowed to test and find out what the, where the DNA came from, from that particular animal that killed their flock. So it's like, it's like the whole climate change question. We're not going to deal with the, the question in the first place of should we be, for example, pursuing net zero and then continue the, the conversation. They're starting the conversation at are these the wolves that we need to protect? They're just saying, yes, of course they are. Don't question the science. And then moving along the conversation without actually finding out for sure. Well, who, who comes up with these actual rules? Like you're you're basically saying that, you know, the government is telling them that they have to do this. And... You know, the argument could always be, well, it doesn't matter who you vote in for government. It's always going to be the bureaucrats and the people that are not voted in or not elected in. They're the ones that are going to keep maintaining these rules. So it doesn't matter if you vote for A or B, because neither one will actually be able to have the impact that they need. So the people making these rules are not the people that the Dutch folks voted for. It's the European Union. Oh, really? taking talking points from the World Economic Forum and the United Nations, specifically the United Nations uh, Agenda 2030 for Sustainable Development. Wow. It's not the Dutch government. The Dutch government's going along with it because they don't want to stand up and say enough is enough to the European Union. Although there is a very, very big and growing interest in a little something called Nexit in the Netherlands. Much similar to what the people of the United Kingdom did when the European Union was trying to take them down their fantasy path to destruction, the yeah. people have in, in Britain said, no, we're not going. Yeah. They said no, and they withdrew. The people in the, in the Netherlands are starting to realize that, you know, if to le left to their own devices, uh, the Dutch people can govern themselves responsibly. They can be good stewards of the environment, as they always have. Um, they don't have to follow the European Union into their great reset. Mm -hmm. And so they're saying, I saw Nexit signs everywhere over there. Wow. Now, is it going to be, is it is it enough and early enough? Well, time will tell. But it's interesting that we're experiencing kind of the same thing in Canada. Our federal government here is the one who's pushing these crazy policies on us, right? No more internal combustion engines. 30% reduction in fertilizer, no more pipelines, no tankers off the West Coast, but the East Coast is fine to bring Saudi oil to Irving, right? Yeah. All of these crazy globalist satisfying policies are coming from the federal government. So what do we have now here in Alberta? We have a group that's saying, listen, if this federal government wants to go down this ideological fairy tale path to destruction, we are not going with you. And that's why I'm so adamant that we need to build the Alberta Prosperity Project membership up and be ready to say enough is enough when enough people finally wake up and realize that we do not want to go down that path because it quite literally is a path to own nothing and be happy, although you won't be happy. So, you know, this isn't, we're not alone in our idea that, you know, sometimes stronger together may not be the case. Yeah. It depends if, if, where the group is going together you know what i mean so so i guess that 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 was the biggest thing i learned is that 
it doesn't matter what language we speak. It doesn't matter what flag we fly. We all really want the same things as human beings. Yeah. And we're all fighting against the same things. Yeah. And what we're fighting against are anti-human policies that are not based by science, that are not debated with due democratic process, and they're pushed on us in such a manner that makes it completely obvious that it's not just about our health. Yeah. Uh, there, there was a few things that I wanted to, to touch base on because maybe maybe the viewers don't know. But uh, in one of the cases, um, if, if a farmer decides to sell his farm in the Netherlands, sells it to the government, and then he says, hmm, you know what? I've always, already sold this farm. I'm going to go and farm somewhere else. <laughs> he can't do that. Well, that would be smart, right? That would be good business. Why, why would you not that's, sell, sell that's the not the case. Himself? No. Absolutely. So when you sell something to the government in the Netherlands to own nothing, you will be happy. And very, very similar to the rumored Canadian mortgage buyback program. So the Dutch government buys these farms and this, the farmers have to agree that they will never farm in the Netherlands again. They're not allowed to farm. They'll never be issued a permit to farm. The fishermen that scrap their boats... They are never allowed to fish in the Netherlands again. This isn't about reducing uh, emissions. This is about reducing human impact, period. And we're going to see right away. I mean, there's already been rumblings. It's already been in Parliament. Um, the Canadian Mortgage Buyback Program, if, if your life becomes too expensive to live uh, in Canada and you own your home or you own some property, interest rates already doubled in the last couple of years. And they're forecasted to do it again. If, you're, if your home becomes too expensive, don't worry. The government will buy it from you and they will allow you so compassionately to rent it back from them. But you will never be allowed to own a house again. So these, these ideas and these policies, they're not specific to our countries. These are coming from somewhere else. It's not coming from our parliament. It's not coming from our legislature. This is external organizations who, by the way, are the same ones that over the last 20 years have spent billions and billions of dollars funding non-governmental organizations, NGOs, that have infiltrated our society and caused us to believe in the climate uh, climate apocalypse um, lie. That's where this is all coming from. So this is a culmination of probably close to 50 years of work yeah. by these people who literally want to reduce human impact yeah and we and of course we had the conversation with uh with alex epstein talking about uh fossil fuels so all of this does seem to tie itself together as a matter of fact i, I don't have to share my screen 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 here but um i do want to ask a question about this here there's there's two two things that I, I thought were kind of relevant to our conversation since you were in the Netherlands and uh, and as well so maybe maybe before I get to that you were in the Netherlands and um, and then you had some trouble getting back to Canada so hmm. you made a bit of a detour to Paris and uh, you can talk a little bit about that and then you were up in London and in England too um, so why don't we talk about that first. Well, let's rewind a second. I'm going to talk about another government program okay. that, am I, is this, what's this show rated? Is there a rating on this one? No, I think you can swear if you had to. 
Well, I better not. Uh, apparently, I've been told that I swear too much, so I'm not going to use a term like uh, this other gov government organization is a piece of shit as well. Okay. Anyway, maintenance enforcement. So no, I had a run-in with maintenance enforcement years ago, uh, not because I'm a deadbeat dad, not because I didn't pay child support, but because someone said that I didn't. So there came a time where I had to actually prove my innocence. Yeah. And during that time, it was a real tough time when we were going through one of our... Uh, classic recessions here in Alberta. I didn't have a lot of money for lawyers and accountants and all that stuff. So it took me a long time, but I did get through it and I was successful. And even though I was successful, it still cost me about $60,000, but whatever that's it's, it's, it's in the past, right? Throughout that time, maintenance enforcement, because they can do anything they want to you. Uh, they suspended my passport. Yes. Maintenance enforcement can do that. They take a driver's license. They can suspend your passport. They can block your registers. They can do all sorts of crazy things that make your life an absolute living hell and force you to prove your innocence in order to get a remedy, which is just, they reverse that. I mean, they don't fix any of the damage they did. So my and of course, uh, not being one to read the fine print, I didn't send it back to have uh, the passport office hold it. I kept it. So after 30 days, they canceled it. Now I had no idea. So I go to check in to my first flight to the Netherlands and I get a message saying, you're going to have to check into the counter because your documents can't be verified. And I'm like, mm, this doesn't sound good. What the heck? So the morning I actually managed to talk to someone at the passport office, found out what was going on. And a series of minor unfortunate events uh, made me miss that plane. I will say the passport office, uh, had I been able to get there in time, they would have had me a passport that day and I would have made my four o'clock flight. So wow. they are phenomenal at the passport office, um, except for asking you to wear a mask. But, you know, thankfully, I have a mask exemption signed by Mr. Daniel Nagasi. And uh, I just said, nope, not wearing one. So anyway, so I missed that flight. So my trip kind of started off a little bit shaky and I had to buy another flight. Uh, luckily, I did put travel insurance on it. So I'm still waiting to find out if I get my money back for the first flight. Anyhow, when I booked my flight, uh, I booked a direct flight, KLM, from Calgary to Schiphol Airport, to Amsterdam. My return flight was a connecting flight through Minneapolis, Minnesota. Ah. Now, as everybody knows, uh, the dead president in the United States, Mr. Joe Biden, he is, I mean, him and our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, brain dead, are in love with each other. So they had a... Uh, agreement where neither of them was going to let anybody move across the borders if they didn't have their death jabs. I mean, their vaccinations. Yeah. So they, I'm, I'm not allowed to fly to the United States without proof of vax. And I'm not jabbed with the COVID vaccine, COVID injection. But yet so you have all your other I, vaccines. I thought this is a perfect opportunity to see if they're actually enforcing it. So I checked the flights for later on that, uh, my return flight that day to make sure that I could get a flight, a direct flight to Calgary, which I could. It was going to cost me another $700. I knew that. So I just factored that into my travel plans. So December 24th, I go to the, uh, I go to check in with my boarding pass and the lady's like, well, we need to see a uh, proof of, are, we, are you, are you vaccinated? Are you fully vaccinated? I said, yes, of course I am. I was vaccinated in school. I've never got measles or mumps or rubella or anything. And she said, oh, we need to see proof. I said, what do you mean proof? I don't carry my vaccination records around with me. And why are you even asking me that? What a weird question. Yeah. It's playing stupid. So she said, well, we need to see your proof of COVID vaccination. 
And I'm like, ah, yeah, I don't have that. And so she wouldn't let me on the plane. Is that right? And when did that happen? Did that happen as you were like, just before you go walk down the little hallway to the, the plane? Oh yeah. So I had been, uh, was I through security? No, I wasn't even through security. Oh, okay. This is the gate, er, the, 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 the aisle to go to security. Oh, okay. So we had a little bit of back and forth and I wasn't rude to her or anything because it's not her fault. I mean, this yeah. is some early twenties girl probably didn't want to be asking in the first place, yeah. but I, I do want to point out that she thought she was like so surprised that I wasn't jabbed. And I said, well, why are you so surprised? And she said, well, you know, we don't get a lot of people that fly without their jab. And I said, well, no, I've, I don't have it. I never had it. And I, whatever. And I said, you can, you can tell I don't have it because I'm actually alive and I'm standing, I'm standing here. Sorry. I just, I had to throw that in there. <laughs> so, um, as luck would have it during the same time on the 24th, almost every airport around the world had some sort of issue, which That's caused right. them to cancel flights. Weird, right? December 24th, yeah. 5,900 flights were canceled on Christmas Eve. And wow. so by the time I got out of the lineup there, went over and stood for two hours in the KLM uh, ticket services line to see if I could get a different flight. And I'm looking on Expedia at the same time. Uh, the flights went from, I think I found one for like $2,000. And I thought, ah, I can't really afford that. That's my last $2,000. Went all the way to $7,700. So I looked a little bit further down the line i found one december 30th that was uh, 800 and unfortunately it was an air canada flight i don't like flying air canada they're extremely uncomfortable but whatever i wanted to get home so i booked that flight and i thought what am i going to do for five more days yeah. or six more days here so i thought you know what screw it i'm gonna go see paris so i hopped on a the high-speed train thinking it was going to be cheap to paris it wasn't cheap it was 300 dollars to take the train from Schiphol wow. airport to paris so, but it was neat to be in Paris. So Christmas day, uh, I spent walking through cemeteries in Paris. As, as one normally would. Right. <laughs> I did see right. the picture of you with, uh, Jim Morrison there. Yeah. That Jimmy. was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, pretty cool. Now, did you talk to anybody in Paris? Uh, not about this kind of thing. I didn't have much time. So I arrived in Paris at, I think it must have been like 9 p.m. or something like that. And I found myself a cheap little hotel room, which was, it was tiny. I think it was probably maybe, I don't know, 150 square feet. Wow. Yeah. Just tiny. But I didn't care. All I needed was a bed anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I got there 9 p.m. And I thought, well, I'm going to make the best of this. So I walked to the Eiffel Tower. Uh, had a look at that, walked around to see some other stuff. I went to the site where Princess Diana was killed in the car crash in that underpass. Um, took a ride on one of those, you know, the bicycles. They ride you around on the little bicycle chariot thing, uh, yeah. which was an electric bike, by the way. Mm -hmm. And uh, then went back to my hotel room. So I didn't, I didn't really have time to plan anything in Paris. It was, I got to Paris, checked that stuff out. The next day I spent... Um, what did I do? I just tried to see as much as I could. I did the cemetery thing. Um, tried to go to the catacombs, but everything's closed because it's Christmas day. Just saw as much of the sites as I could. And then I had to head straight to the airport because the flight that I booked from 
or back home was a flight, a flight from London. That was the most reasonable flight I could find at the time. And I thought, well, I'll just tour a little bit, make my way over to London. I had plans to go through the channel because I've always wanted to go through the channel. But that's not what I ended up doing because I found a flight from Paris to London uh, for 120 euros, which is like 180 bucks or something. Cheaper and it had a connector through Nice, which was a 12 hour layover. So I flew from Paris to Nice and then I got to walk around in the French Riviera, check it out, get some pictures, go to a English pub, of course. And um, then the next morning walk from my hotel to the, to the train station and take a flight to London. Wow. And then, and then you got to London and I got to London and, uh, it was the same thing. Just a pardon. That was boxing day when you got there. Uh, Um, and did they, I was, yeah, I know it was was boxing day because I asked you the question, did they celebrate boxing day over there? Ah, so it must've been boxing day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, Boxing Day, same thing, kind of a whirlwind because I needed to make my way to um, Telford to meet up with a couple who came into the Whistle Stop Cafe this summer. Wow. And they were like, hey, if you're ever in England, you got to look us up. We got a place <laughs> in the country. We'll take you're a short dates. So then there I am a few months later. Hey, I'm in, I'm in England. <laughs> But uh, London was pretty cool. I went and saw the place where the guy on the court papers uh, with with my name on it lives, that king fella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It used to be the queen that was versus me, and now it's the king that was versus me. So whatever. Um, I saw as much as I could. I didn't get a chance to meet with anybody because it was short notice and it was Boxing Day. I mean, these these are the holidays, right? So I didn't didn't have as much luck with the short notice meetings with people because there's stuff going on in paris too there was some riots in paris there's some protests yes there was uh, a- they were pumping yeah. shit into the government buildings as the french yeah. frequently yeah. do yeah. and same thing in london uh there's protests going on there i met up with uh, one fella in birmingham uh, just quickly and unfortunately you know timing prevented us from doing anything else together but uh yeah it was it was all very whirlwind so when i met up with um uh the, the folks that were at the whistle stop. Yeah. It was kind of like, yeah, let's see some sites. Enjoy the last few days of my trip. Not worry too much about the interview thing and just uh, focus on learning some things and kicking back a little bit and then get home. But did you get a sense that uh, the UK is, is also doing exactly the same thing as the, oh, my you, goodness. Did you, same did things you, happening in France. Yeah. Uh, it's happening in the UK. Not quite to the extent that it is in the European Union countries, but they have these weird climate policies infiltrating every level of government there as well. And again, the same kind of, it's the same kind of um, uh, arbitrary numbers as what every other country is seeing. Yeah. Wow. And I know... One one thing about about Netherlands though. um, So... If you if you were asked where was the birthplace of democracy, what would you say, Kerry? Democracy? Yeah. Uh, I'd probably say like Greece or maybe Italy. That's what I would say too. So it was it was Greece and Rome. They were kind of the kind of seen as the the democ- the, the birthplace, the cradle of democracy. Well, yeah. ap- in application, it was the Netherlands who were pretty much the oldest 
democracy that's still around. And yeah. it's it's interesting. I, you meant, have you ever heard me say democracy is not the fastest, but it's the easiest path to communism? Yeah. Well, the Netherlands have been democratic far longer than Canada's ever existed. And they're kind of a lot farther down this path than we are. Mm-hmm. And it might be because people in democracy, it only works if everybody gets involved. And they don't let the tyrants become the democratic voices that drive policy. We've allowed that to happen. And they've done it more in the Netherlands, so they're a little, little farther advanced. But I want to point something out. Um, in the United States, they have something called the Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. Did you know that the Declaration of Independence in the United States is copied almost word for word from the Declaration of Independence that the Dutch people wrote? That I did not know. Hundreds of years ago. Yep. So um, this isn't, I, I, I bring that up because I want to point out that this isn't a problem with our government style or like whether it's a democracy or a republic or a despotism or whatever. Yeah. It's, this is, um, it's a, it's a people failing to get involved problem, which is another reason why I'm so pumped about APP and building this organization be, so that people, um, you know, they can be involved in something and and do something to stop this apathetic delve into yeah. tyrannical rule. And, and, you know, most people don't get involved until it actually affects them. And that's certainly how it happened with me. And I'm sure that's happened me too, because really, you know, y- you figure politics consists of going to the polls once every four years and voting for whichever party happens to be the color that you enjoy this, that time. And uh, sitting back and uh, watching whatever it is and then complaining about it. And with what's happened in the last few years, we can no longer do that. People have to actually start to take control of their own lives and, and, and get involved. And uh, however, however people do that, whether or not it's you get involved in your uh, uh, local student council or, or your neighborhood watch or whatever. But I think people have become so apathetic about being in their own little shell and, you know, I'm so busy, I can't do certain things that they've kind of lost what is actually happening around them. And that's where the tyranny is coming in is that uh, they say, well, we've kept people so busy that now we can go in and push push this agenda upon us. Yeah, and it's not just about keeping them busy. It's about keeping them purposefully ignorant and emotional. So all of these, these non-governmental organizations have been coming into Canada and well, every country around the world for decades. And we see commercials from Greenpeace where there's a duck in some oil. Heartbreaking, right? We see, you know, all sorts of things on TV, largely propaganda pieces telling us that if we don't use our corn, our corn for making fuel for our cars and instead use oil, the earth will light on fire by 2016 and all of the low-lying areas of the world will be underwater speaking of which one of the main talking points with the climate alarmists is that if we don't reduce global temperatures by 1.5 or 2 degrees or whatever they're saying the polar ice caps will melt sea levels will rise three meters or whatever it is and we're going to lose all these land there's going to be this huge bunch of climate refugees and we need to pay all these countries all this money the netherlands in some places is seven meters below sea level and yet major multi-billion dollar corporations and banks build billion dollar structures there 
most of our politicians, I shouldn't say most, a lot of our politicians flock to the coast. Yes, they do. And they mortgage homes. Property developers are getting 30 and 40 and 50 year loans on um, coastal, like oceanfront properties. So the only people that really believe that we're actually going to cause these catastrophic climate events are the ones who have been told they need to believe it by these outside organizations. The people with the money who usually make their money because they think about things and their long-term forecasting is good, they don't believe any of this at all. And neither do I. But these groups have been very, very successful at being that, you know, that 3% of society who's very, very loud and changes the direction society is going. And in this case, they're changing the direction and putting us down a path uh, to climate agenda destruction, Uh destruction of our way of life, of our humanity, of the things that make us human in the name of climate change. Yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, for the record, uh, I don't care if people call me a climate denier or whatever, this whole notion that we've raised the Earth's temperature by 1.5 degrees or whatever in the last 100 years um, is the most insignificant piece of information that I've heard in my life. And if you, the reason I say this is because all of these policies are based on that lie that we need to do these things to intervene and adjust the climate in order to survive. Did you know, Carrie? that before the industrial revolution which by the way i went to the birthplace of the industrial revolution in blist's hill england um where they did they have going there well they didn't have anything going because you know some winter break or whatever but anyway i was there before that it was warmer it was almost two degrees warmer what in the 200 year 200 years before the industrial industrial revolution before there was 8 billion people on the planet before we started burning hydrocarbons to use uh, as our energy source before we started using machines to do our work so that we could do things that, with our brains like cure disease and all have. of these policies are based on the notion that we need to cool the planet wow I was going to say they must have had lots of mosquitoes back then. They were huge. Growing up in and they farted so much. They they didn't even have those masks over their mosquito butts to to capture the methane wow. like they put on the cows in England. They put masks on the cows to you. absorb the methane from their burps. Yeah. Yeah, cuz that's the number one driving force of global warming. But I suppose, I mean, if we're living in a time where uh, I I would get shunned from society for saying that no men cannot have babies, um, I suppose it isn't surprising that we put masks on cows to absorb methane from their burps to save the planet. Wow, we've certainly covered a lot of topics in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> we've come a long way, my friend. We've come a long way as a, as a society and yeah. as the human race. As a matter of fact, I would say that one of the things that could be celebrated about humanity at this point is that we're way too willing to not only accept lies, but celebrate them and pursue them to the point of our own extinction. It's amazing. Wow. 
Wow. So where do we go from here? Like, we know that the, the WAF has uh, in, infiltrated the governments, Netherlands government, the UK, well, pretty much everywhere, all over, including the Canadian government. What would be a logical step? Because we've tried to uh, to go back to our government officials, go back to our MPs, and say, you know what, we want we want we want to have some investigation into this thirty percent nitrogen uh, propaganda. We want to we want to talk to them about what's happening in the farming and all that. And that seems to go on deaf ears. Or if it is even brought into the uh, uh, the House Commons, nothing happens with it after that. And that's at the federal mm-hmm. level, and of course, it, you can you can argue that 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 we've tried that again in the in uh, the provincial level, we've tried it in the municipal and city level. So, what what can we do to basically get up in arms and 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 try and stop or or prevent a lot of this stuff from happening? Well, there really is only one answer, and that's stand up, get out of your chair, and use your friggin' voices. Yeah, like it. If you want to do something, you have to get involved. One way you can get involved is to be counted in the APP membership. I sound like an APP salesman right now, but it's true. You know, if you want to do something, you get together with like-minded people. You band together. You use your voices. You use them as one in the pursuit of truth, and you do it. These these things are not... uh, You talk about Parliament and our legislature. These things aren't topics of discussion right now. It's not a topic to dis- to discuss, should we be doing these things? The discussion ends at, we must be net zero at all costs. That's where the conversation ends in all levels of government. Very few, very few people in government are willing to push back against that notion. Our own government and our premier, Daniel Smith, um, they seem to be very reluctant to push back against that. And I understand why, because we live in an age of cancel culture. If they say uh, maybe we should have this conversation about if we should be actually being net zero at all costs before we do it and harm millions of people's lives, it's a tough thing to do for them. So instead, what they've said is, well, if this is what you want us to do, okay, fine, we'll do it. Let's just, we'll concede that this must be done at all costs and we'll get it done the way Albertans do. We'll do it. We'll use your your math, your numbers, your policies your procedures and we will reduce our whatever by this amount our way the alberta way but guess what that's not good enough in alberta we could be net zero the premier has a plan where we could actually be net zero and meet these climate alarmist fool demands and maintain our way of life maintain our quality of life and not break the bank of every man woman and child in alberta they have a plan to do that and it's a pretty good plan that comes with a that comes with a, a catch though. Yes. I think it's all bogus because the conversation for me is still at do we pursue this at all costs? Anyway, that's beside the point. The federal government, they basically said, no, we don't like your plan. We want you to do this. They don't want us to reduce our CO2 output in our oil and gas industry in Alberta. They want us to shut our oil and gas in. Yeah. A few years ago, the prime minister said, um, you know, who would find billions of of uh, barrels of oil in the ground and just leave it there? We'll need that for at least a couple or a few more years, he said. Yeah. Well, it's been a few more years. And they don't want to just reduce the impact of our industry. They want to reduce industry itself. 
And you've you've heard the the prime minister, actually not only our prime minister, the prime minister in the in the Netherlands as well. Um, the in, in Paris, this is happening. The United King, Kingdom, this is happening. They're saying we're going to ban internal combustion engine sales by whatever year. What year is it here? Here, you know? it, uh, twenty. Actually, it's fairly soon. It's like yeah, twenty five or twenty twenty seven is when there's. I, I think. I think it's 26, but I, I I might be wrong. Did you know, if we're going to do that, if we're going to go electric on everything, instead of what our what, you, what our premier wants to do and our UCP government want to do is they want to pers- they want to develop hydrogen fuel cell powered vehicles, which is probably a not a bad idea. Yeah. It's a good fuel source, and with a little bit of technological innovation, we could probably make a go of it. Uh, that's not good enough. For the federal government they want electric cars why do they want electric cars carrie what do you need to power an electric car mm, electricity but where does it come from how do you store it ah you need to put it in batteries or you need to yes put it in. so right now our current technology for the battery for energy storage in our vehicles uh the best technology we have that i know of is lithium batteries yeah. uh, lithium polymer or not even lithium polymer it's a different thing now Guess who has huge lithium deposits in their province? Where's Justin Trudeau from? Mm, Quebec. Quebec has very large lithium deposits just waiting for industry to exploit and and uh, develop. Is the, he going to have the resource. child labor doing that as well? Oh, probably, I'm sure. If you, a lot of these things, like, and this is why people end up wearing tinfoil hats. If you start asking questions about who benefits from these policies, even from, let's, like, like from the jab, yeah. who benefits from this? People um, who are you, you find that there are people and friends of those people who stand to benefit tremendously from these policies yeah. that destroy your way of life and my way of life and millions of Albertans and millions of Canadians, because it's not in our best interest. It's in those people's best interest. It's in Quebec's best interest to have only electric vehicles because they will, I mean, they'll turn into the new Alberta with their lithium mines. Unfortunately, what we aren't talking about at the same time as we're, we're vilifying our own current industries that have afforded us the way of life we have now we're not talking about the impacts of the future industries that are necessary to promote this green agenda. Lithium mines are horribly toxic, yeah. horribly toxic. If you look at any lithium mine across, all over the world, as far as I know, now I, I could be correct because I haven't seen them all, miles and miles and miles around them, everything is dead. Nothing grows yeah. there. Yeah. It's horribly impactful on the environment. Yeah. And yet this is what we're pursuing. The rare earth metals needed to to build uh, uh, the generators <coughs> in wind turbines or the solar panels. They're mined in countries with extremely horrendous environmental practices. And they have a horrible impact on the environment. So the very things that we're pursuing in our quest for net zero at all costs pre- present tremendous environmental costs you should see holland right now you think those cool windmills where i uh you know i messed up my intro all those times right they look really neat yeah no 
they are these disgusting behemoths of of wind turbines stretching for miles and miles and miles chopping up every bird in sight destroying wow. the scenery creating environmental impact because as we've seen now one of the impacts we never talked about or thought about uh with the windmills yeah. was the 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 audible oscillations and the visual oscillations that the the fan blades make yeah. well some of them are causing like environmental impacts that are terrible in the north sea right now there's a bunch of species of fish that navigate using sound yeah. and electrical current and impulses somehow i don't know how they do it they're they're smart fish yeah, yeah. the windmills are messing it all up the impact that these windmills are having in the oceans where they're put to save the planet are destroying another part of the planet wow and it might even be a worse impact than what they had prevented did i i didn't know this until i was over there but uh the netherlands have huge natural gas reserves huge yeah you know why they don't produce them because a 3% squeaky wheel voice of an NGO came in and they said, no, people don't let the government issue permits to, to ext extract this natural gas. Because wow. if you do, the land will sink. It's like deflating a balloon, they said. And people believe it. And they vote for politicians who say, oh, we're not going to. We're not going to exploit the natural gas and we're not going to frack because that's so irresponsible. It will make the country sink into the ocean. Because most of these politicians have engineering degrees and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and people believe it and people believe it. I was in Ontario. I was doing some work in, uh, also Ontario is the birthplace of, the, of oil and gas, by the way. But I didn't. I was doing some work over there yeah. and I was staying at a place called, I can't remember what the hotel was called, but it had a restaurant called Smoke and Bones in London. Great restaurant, by the way. And there was a poster on the wall. And this poster, it was like uh, like trees and a little playground and some grass and a nice little pond or whatever. And then it was like a cross section, like the Simpsons, you know, showing yep. the, in yep. the dirt or whatever. So there was like, you know, an inch of brown dirt. And then there was like a quarter inch of rock. And then it showed uh, a little bit more dirt. And then there was an aquifer. And then... Right below the aquifer, there's a oil and gas reserve, I guess is what yeah. it was. Yeah. So they're showing them fracking this well, and it's it's just blowing the 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 reservoir into the aquifer. Now, in my experience, water tables for the water that we use uh, um, for for human sustenance yeah. is generally between like forty and three hundred feet, yeah. four hundred feet. 400 feet is a pretty deep well. Yes, it would be. The gas we extract is what's uh, is like 6,000 feet ish. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe 4,000 feet to kind yeah. of 15,000 feet type thing. So so we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of feet of sand and clay and rock caps and more rocks and more clay. No sinking like, involved. No sinking involved. And yet they put these posters up there so that people have an emotional response, right? Yeah. That's emotional because it showed the oil getting pumped up into the aquifer, making its way to surface. And there was a little oil spill up there from the frack yeah. uh, where there was a fish flopping in it. And that side of the poster, everything was dead because it was fracked and it ruined wow. the whole entire environment. But it was based on a lie. But people believed it because people... They think more often with 
this thing here than they do with this thing. Yeah. And it's the same thing in the Netherlands. <clears throat> so we're really, we're, 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 we're no different no matter what part of the globe we inhabit. Yeah. Well, I was going to get back, get back to the Quebec issue there too. And the we fact should go back to Quebec. You should go back to Quebec. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to get another smoked meat sandwich in, uh, in Hull or in, uh, in Montreal. Uh, yes. Which we never did because we couldn't go in. No, we had pizza. We, we ended up just going into a pizza place of, mm -hmm. of all, because that's what you go to Montreal for is for pizza. But the fact is that they have uh, a very large um, oil and gas uh, deposit, or basically whatever you want to call it in in, in, in Quebec. Yeah, natural gas, yeah. huge. And, it could be energy, energy. Uh, uh, what are they? Oh my goodness, so, energy secure. Yeah. And likewise, Easy. coming from Manitoba, uh, hydroelectricity there, hydroelectricity up the yin-yang up in, in Quebec. But they Quebec haven't... In the United States. They haven't exploited it. And do you know why they haven't exploited it? Because they have they didn't need to because they're basically getting our equalization payments from Alberta that will go and help out Quebec. So they actually don't have to do a lot of this 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 work. Here's something interesting, and I don't know if I've heard this somewhere or if I'm just thinking it now, but, well, I have heard this. So Legault, the premier who, he's a premier, right, that Quebec does not like. Yeah, okay. And voted him in again. Okay. Um, he actually was heard saying something like, Quebec is, we don't want Alberta's money anymore. We're not a welfare province. We don't need that money. Wow. And I haven't been able to find the clip anywhere else since I heard it the first time, but he did say that. Wow. Um. Things in Quebec might change because one of the things that our premier wants to do here is export our LNG because if we export LNG, we get carbon offset credits. Chris, so basically the world LNG? owes us because we shipped our LNG to somebody else's backyard to burn there. Right? Somebody asked me that the other day. What is LNG? <laughs> Liquefied natural gas is what LNG is, of which we have... A lot in Alberta. Yeah. Yeah. Last estimate I heard at current uh, consumption and projected demand increases, we have about a thousand years of natural gas in this province. Wow. So we have enough. And that's at current technology. So Quebec, they're faced with the same things from the federal government as we are. Mm -hmm. They're going to need carbon offset credits. One way to do that yeah. is to export LNG. So maybe, just maybe, and I, and I actually I actually predict this that Quebec is going to start developing and exploiting their natural gas reserves in the name of climate change, but not in the name of climate change, in the name of carbon credits. Credits, yes. And this is a real thing. It's going to be like a currency, so much so that there is already a carbon bank in Europe. Wow. where carbon credits are traded like the stock market. Now, this is happening and it's going to happen. And I'm going to be very interested to see who's benefiting from these carbon trading carbon. Yeah. I mean, a company like CNRL is going to benefit immensely from this, partially because the CEO is co-owner of the carbon capture and util uh, carbon capture and utilization uh, how am I carbon capture and storage yeah uh, patent the technology they own the patent yeah. 
they can afford to do these things that are going to increase their production and gain them carbon credits. For instance, um, capturing carbon dioxide and injecting it into their own reservoirs to repressurize them and produce more oil. That's something that they're going to do. They're going to receive uh, over $85 per ton of carbon dioxide as a credit paid for by you and me on our power bills. And when we go to the grocery store and buy a vegetable, when we fill up our cars, whatever, we're going to pay that. These billionaires are going to be implementing these technologies that increase their wealth and take our wealth. And we vote for this stuff when we allow it. And we do it because we're too chicken shit to have that conversation. Do we need to be net zero at all costs? The conversation was never finished, but so many people shouted from the rooftops, the science is settled, the science is settled, 97% of scientists agree. Well, it was all a load of malarkey, but they were so loud. And people are so worried about cancel culture that they just decided, you know what? We're not going to have that conversation. It's too scary. Let's just figure out how to adapt to this and live with it. But it doesn't work like that. There's a saying in Holland, you give them your finger and they'll take your whole hand. Yeah. In this case, you, you give them, you give them some quality of your life and they will take your whole life. That's where we're going. I feel yeah, like I really ranted there. Well, that was a good rant. Um, and it really has started at, at the upper level. It started with, you know, the, the government giving these sorts of rules. And then we've got corporations that are now doing their ESG reports, which are the environmental social governance reports, basically saying, yeah, we're, we're offsetting, you know, when we make something, we're offsetting this uh, to be used here. And if we don't have it, then we'll buy those credits from somewhere else. Well, guess what? That has gone from here down to there, and it's eventually going to hit here, which will be the you and me. And we're yeah, it's already, up. it's yeah. already you and me. Yeah, right here in my neck of the woods. Yeah, uh, about about 20, 25 kilometers from me. Yeah, there's a pipeline. It's called the Carbon Trunk Line, yeah. and it comes from Fort Saskatchewan down to um, the Chigwell area in in by Clive ish. Yeah. So there's a company called Enhance Oil and Gas. And years ago, they came up with this idea that they're going to pump carbon dioxide from Fort Saskatchewan down here. And they're going to inject it into their uh, their depleted reservoirs, increase reservoir pr- 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 pressure, and increase their production of oil. Okay. So what happened is you and me, Carrie, and all of you other folks in Alberta, you paid taxes and you paid carbon tax. And the government took your money and they gave it to enhance oil and gas and others in the name of climate change to build this billion, multi-billion dollar pipeline to capture carbon dioxide and pump it into their reservoirs for which they gain carbon offset credits and get paid the money that you pay in carbon tax on your fuel. And it increased production on wells that were otherwise becoming uneconomical so you see how this works so these big companies like cnrl and shell and husky they say oh yeah you know this net zero is not it's a great idea we can use this to attract investment into the province yeah because those investors know that they can do these things and they can reach into the wallets of every single person in alberta and take their money and that person in alberta thinks they're virtuous for paying that because they're saving the climate well they're not 
all they're doing is they're moving money out of their wallet into wallets of other people who are way smarter than them yeah. and, uh, and and know how to work the system. It's absolutely disgusting. Saying we're going to attract investment to this province because they're going to get carbon credits for being uh, green or carbon carbon offsetting or whatever. Yeah. I hear that and I hear I'm going to pay companies to come to Alberta and participate in ideologically flawed anti-human policies in the name of climate change. Maybe we should just get the hell off this earth because it's going to need, hell in a basket. I need something stronger than uh, Erp's Sarsaparilla. <laughs> well, I'm going to dry today because I'm still kind of with a bit of a cold. But, you know, it, uh, yeah, again, obviously we've covered a lot of stuff and, um, and this all, all started with you going to the Netherlands. How interesting is that? Carrie, <laughs> you said something interesting. <laughs> Maybe we should just get off this earth. Yes. Yeah. Now there is hope. Yeah. There is hope for you. If you feel <laughs> like what's happening is taking you to a place where you don't want to go and you will oh. not be happy owning nothing. It's okay. We will kill you. We will offer you assisted suicide. We will made for you. We will made the difference for you. So for those of you out there that are watching this and thinking like, you know what? Maybe it wouldn't be. Maybe I don't want to be on this planet anymore. Stop it. The whole reason we're here is yeah. so that we can, we can, we can do things for each other so we can better humanity with our presence here on this earth yeah. and every person watching this maybe people are losing a little bit of hope because what we're talking about is scary stuff um maybe you're losing hope but don't because no matter what if we continue to meet and and peacefully assemble and we know who we can count on um we can get through anything i mean at times through history, people have gotten through much, much worse with much, much less than we have right now. We have this very unique situation in Alberta where we have all these groups who are working together. Maybe some don't work together. They have conflicts or whatever. But at the end of the day, we know who's freedom-minded and who's not. And if things get really tough, I guarantee you that you have even in this even in the list of comment people who are commenting yeah, here right. i guarantee you could probably send 80% of these folks a message and say hey you know i'm having a tough time i need a hand and they'll help you because that's what we do and that's what the alberta prosperity project is doing but on a different level we're trying to help people have a place to peacefully assemble come together for common cause and make a difference as we're supposed to as human beings yeah. that's what we should be doing not thinking as, as I was a few days ago, but I, I do that. This happens to me too. Not thinking like, man, would it be better if I wasn't here? What purpose do I have? I mean, I'm just I'm failing at this. I'm failing at that. We're not making any, any difference. That's not true. That's what they want you to believe. But the truth is, every single person on this planet, no matter how insignificant the global elitists tell you you are, you are important and you have a purpose. And I... I I know that 100% for sure. So don't let these anti-human dickwads, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Sure. Um, 
make you feel like your life is so insignificant that you shouldn't be here. You should be here. If for nothing more than just to piss them off because they, they want you dead. <laughs> yeah. We can all be, uh, what's the, what's the term? Eaters. I'll <laughs> be useless. Eaters. Eaters together. We can all be eaters. eaters yes. Yeah. That's my favorite thing to do on this planet is eat food. Love food. <sighs> Second good. favorite thing. <laughs> versus drink beer um yeah. so you know what we're in an hour and 18 minutes is there anything else we want to wrap up with here uh any big overall thoughts on where we should be going and um i mean obviously with with app we basically want to say that um you know the, the whole purpose of app is to to have such a large voice that we can influence uh what's happening politically and within the province and uh, essentially try and force some sort of a, uh, a referendum on, uh, on independence. There's, and really, my belief is that any, any big thing, any big topic should have a referendum to it. And there's almost no reason why we couldn't have that with the current technology, shy of the whole digital ID thing. Um, and basically saying that, you know, we could have a vote on anything. If we want to have a vote on if there's fluoride, guess what? We can do that. We can have a referendum on that. Boom. And it's done. But having to do the way that we've been doing it for so long and having elected representatives and all that, uh, I'm, I'm not a firm believer that that is essentially the, the way to go. But I do believe that having uh, an, a, a referendum on independence and, and basically putting it out to uh, Albertans, uh, to say you have some options. Um, and this is, yep. this is definitely the way that we should be looking at. So I like where you're going with that. Did you know that Switzerland has four referendums every year? And they should. absolutely. And they, they actively participate in yeah. important things and then absolutely ridiculous things like, you know, what color of cattle should be allowed in your front yard or something stupid like that. I can't remember well, what down, it was. Down in the U.S., they, have, <laughs> they vote for the dog catcher. Dog catcher. They should, and we should. We, we should we vote should. for everybody that's in some sort of a um, uh, an influence should be voted on. If, if judges, uh, police chiefs, you name it, should be out to uh, out to a vote. Yes, yeah. but but as I mentioned there. before, democracy oh, is not the that. easiest mm -hmm. or the quickest, but it's the easiest path to communism. Yeah. It doesn't matter who you're voting, what you're voting for, like if it's your dog catcher, your chief of police if good people don't stay involved yeah. in day-to-day -day politics and i don't care if you don't like politics it's too bad politics likes you yeah. to the point where it's in every aspect of your life is controlled and or guided by politics yeah um then it's a path to tyranny yeah. you get a small group of people um you know maybe pushing or whipping each other into voting for a certain person and it's not in the best interest of the whole. So what you have to have in addition to democracy are groups like the Alberta Prosperity Project who get information to people as to how to be involved, why to be involved, which direction we should go. Yeah. And it's not just me sitting here in front of my keyboard going, oh, I read this post on Facebook today. This is hundreds of people doing tens of thousands of hours of work yeah. uh, to try and chart this path and say hey this is our best chance our best shot at prosperity this is where we need to go yeah. and then we tell you folks 
and we 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 try and be leaders and 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 explain things in such a way that you want to come with us where we're going. In my case, I want to go to a free and independent prosperous Alberta. Mm -hmm. Maybe it wouldn't work out like that. Maybe, you know, we have this referendum and and the federal government says, "Whoa, Alberta, sorry, we're sorry. We we take it back. We take it all back. Well, you just do you and we're fine. Just stay." Maybe that would happen. But maybe, maybe it won't. Yeah. We need that referendum and we need we need people actively participating in things like this. Yeah. Even if you don't like the color of my hair, we got to look past those things and work together to our common goal. My goal is not net zero. My goal is prosperous, a prosperous and free Alberta. That's, right. That's my goal. Yeah. If net zero is the only way to get there, I would go to net zero, but that's not the truth. <laughs> if using more oil and gas is the best way to be prosperous and free in Alberta in a lasting fashion, then I say use more. Yeah. But at the end of the day, that's what we should be focusing on is prosperity. Yeah, absolutely. Does that, does that sound like a good place to end? <laughs> you and I could probably talk about a bunch of stuff for hours and hours and hours. And we have, although usually it uh, has a little stronger than Canada. Drug. Yeah. I, I guess I should throw out there. There is other ways to be involved as well. Although I will say no matter what else you're doing, get your APP membership. Yeah. Just please be counted in the numbers of Albertans that want to pursue prosperity. It's like it's $20. It's yeah, it's literally like I don't even think you get a uh, Netflix subscription uh, for that. You know, well, certainly not eighteen ninety nine a month or something. I know. Yeah, it used to be seven dollars. Anyway. Plus carbon tax because ah yes, put carbon tax on that too. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, seek out and get involved in community based groups. Uh, in my area, there's a group called the uh, Western Unity Group. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people that just meet and teach each other things and share information they teach um, canning, right not yeah. caning they teach canning beard combing yeah there you go beard waxing <laughs> um all the those groups things you need political to. parties that are aligned with your beliefs and and your uh your convictions yeah you can join more than one yes. you should yep. because then your voice can be heard in all of these different forums yep. do things that help you make human connections with uh, your friends and neighbors. Yeah. That's what we've been missing in the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And that's where we need to get back to if we want to achieve any kind of prosperity, yeah. regardless of, and this is not, a, it's not a right wing or a left wing thing. This is a, it's a human or an anti-human thing. Yeah. So let's start acting like human beings more. I actually had conversations with uh, a couple of teachers uh, not too long ago and they were, you know, they're, 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 they're NDP because of such and such. And, you know, I, that's totally fine. And then I started to ask them questions about what was going on with, uh, with, you know, uh, our current government and what APP proposes and all that. And they actually didn't have any, any rebuttal. And uh, because really it is not a left or right issue. It's just a free and prosperous issue. You know what, Carrie? If yeah. I if I was a politician, yeah, in this province, if you were, yeah, I'm. Uh, I guess I'm. I was. I'm classically more right leaning than left. Yeah, I guarantee you that I could present policy that would 
change the face of the education system in Alberta. Yeah. Um, change the way the world views Alberta healthcare because right now the people are good, but the system sucks. Yeah. I mean, one of the ways I'd do that is by firing all of the tyrants and doing audits into where the money is going and whose bank account it's going to. Yeah. yeah. So there are ways to do these things um, without electing a government that literally wants you to own nothing and be happy. It's true. You don't have to participate in communism to have a, a better job as a teacher yeah. or, a, or a nurse. That's right. It's a better way. Yeah. All right. And with that, I think we will wrap up. So obviously, thank you very, very much to our guests, Mr. Christopher Scott from Whistle Stop Cafe. And, and thank you very much to our host, Mr. Kerry Lambert from <laughs> Kerry's Basement in Calgary, Alberta. And both from the Chris and Kerry Show, uh, mm -hmm. com. And uh, obviously we do our weekly webinars through APP every Wednesday and uh, we'll be doing it again, obviously next Wednesday. And, uh, and one of the things I, I do want to acknowledge is the volunteers that we have for APP. There's, there's people that are even behind the scenes, even on this webinar, but, but when we go to chapter events, there's people that, uh, you know, that greet us. There's people that help us set up the chairs. There's people that, you name it, there's always uh, a volunteer that's needed. So our greatest commodity uh, as APP is volunteers. Uh, and I'd like to just acknowledge them. And, and of course, to even say that we're always looking for help uh, and new volunteers. And if you have time and experience and even a set of skills, hey, if you're if you're a web host and you want to do some sort of a webinar, please get a hold of us and uh, we can probably uh, make something happen. Uh, and if you yeah, please please go to albertaprosperityproject.com and I know there's uh, there's uh, links to contact and and all that as well. There's there's also the event list um, and I know there's chapter events that happen like every Wednesday and Thursdays. Um, Thursday, I think, is in Pinocchio. Is it Thursdays? Um, and and just get involved that way. And I think that's uh, that's you know we've kind of said that all the way through is just uh, just get involved however possible. So and with that, uh, we'll wrap up and say I wish you a fabulous rest of your evening. And it's eight thirty here, so I still have enough time to finish my my uh, Canada Dry and maybe make it a little bit harder. And uh, we hope to see you at an event in person very very soon. And if not, then I uh, hope to see you again next Wednesday for the webinar. So thanks again, Chris, and take care. God bless, and good night, everybody. You're welcome. And I will say yes. uh, thank you to all the people who hosted me in the Netherlands and in the United Kingdom. Yes. I really appreciate it. And I cannot wait to get back again. I made some really good friends there. Yeah. And hopefully next time they get to meet Carrie too. But uh, that's what this this freedom family, if you want to call it, is all about. You know, we can just show up and we have enough in common where, true. you know, we're fine just hanging out at each other's house for a week or two. So thank so you very much. You can come over and play pool. Yes. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Good night, everybody. Night, everyone.